0: The wisdom God provides covers every corner of our society. It is needed in how civil leadership makes decisions. It is vital in how we respond or react to others. However, wisdom must make its way into our hearts to produce character. Turn in your Bible now to Proverbs 25 as we continue in our ongoing study with Pastor Ross in the book of Proverbs. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your many blessings, our kids, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. We pray for them, Lord, that they would um, open their hearts in an early age to the Holy Spirit and just be raised in the the nurture and the love and the instruction of the Lord. And and, uh, we just thank you for all these blessings. We thank you for your word tonight. We ask, Father, that you'd open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to hear what your Spirit is saying. Through these wise sayings, the Proverbs, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we are at chapter 25. We're doing it. We're going to make it to the end. There's only 31 chapters. And as you'll recall, the Lord, and how this all got started, asked King Solomon in a dream uh, to make a request, you know, almost like make any wish. And he asked for wisdom so that he could do a good job being the king and leading God's people. And that made God very happy. And God answered his prayer and made him, quote, the wisest man on earth. And even the Lord said, There'll never be, there was never anybody like you, nor shall there ever be someone as wise and smart with understanding as he. And so he wrote a collection of Proverbs. And wouldn't you just love to read that man's journal, Think about it, right? Well, we get part of it, right? He wrote 3,000 Proverbs. <clears throat> we have a third of them. We have about 1,000 of them. He also wrote 1,000 songs. But apparently, he was better at the Proverbs than songwriting because the Lord only kept two of his songs around. <laughs> and the, <laughs> those two songs are Psalm 72 and Psalm 127 are attributed to King uh, Solomon. So. We do have about a thousand of his proverbs, and uh, the collection is, as I said, 31 chapters, right? Uh, But not. not, It also includes other uh, authors, other the works of other uh, sages, and um, which is, you know, what's really cool is is that the byproduct of wisdom is humility. And so even the wisest man in the world knew that he didn't have the corner market on wisdom, that God was working through other men as well. And so as we saw last time, by the heads up, uh, these are other sayings of the wise. And that's in plural. That's plural. So uh, we know now from the opening of this chapter that we're back to Solomon's original materials. So let me show you what I mean here. Verse 1. So verse 1 starts a new section. These are more Proverbs of Solomon copied by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So now it implies that what just came before it, as we already knew, uh, was were the works of other God-inspired authors. And we, we don't know who uh, these men were. But we know who were, were busy kind of transcribing and maintaining and uh, uh, preserving uh, the scriptures throughout the generations. King Hezekiah, it's just interesting. Let me comment on it. He is Solomon's, King Solomon's grandson to the ninth power. So he's nine Xanders down the line, all right? And King Hezekiah just said of his great, 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 great times nine grandfather's writings, which happened to be written through the power of the Holy Spirit to preserve them. And so King Hezekiah, by the way, was a good guy. Basically, had a couple bad calls there um, like most human beings, but basically comes off as a good king. Uh, you can read about him in Second Kings 18 through 20 and also Isaiah 36 through 39. And so uh, the king's men... Priestly scribes were responsible and and aided by the Holy Spirit to pass these scriptures along from generation to generation. Let's get to the proverb. The proverb joined to it is the, the first proverb of the new section is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. And so we're off here with a new section. And so the big idea here is to help kings remember their rightful place and not to have such big heads or inflated egos. So God's got the goods people need. So he's talking to kings who represented Yahweh, right? And so he's saying uh, not to get a big head, uh, not to think it's all about you, because all the, all the people were looking to the king for this. Thing. We need to get to the king, the king, the king. And so uh, the, the wisdom is for the king to remember the glory of God. God's got the resources. It's his wisdom, truth, his understanding... Um, his life that must be unpacked from God. And so, you know, that God conceals a matter isn't the word to uh, purposely hide something because we know God is a revealer. He wants us to know Him. But the word conceal there means not that He deliberately hides something, but actually uh, it's concealed in the sense it's impossible to fully dis- disclose. He can't fully disclose. The treasures and the limitless resources of the Most High God. I mean, you know, we're just the things we know about God. It's just like probably two inches. It's yeah. nothing, right? I mean, I've got a scripture. I don't know if I I, I have it on the. Uh, I do. <laughs> oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul the apostle was just talking about how God's working through Israel and through the church and His mysterious. Dealings in the gospel and he just hits tilt. You know, he says at the end of Romans 11, he says, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You can't figure them out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God has to repay him for something, for From him and through him and for him and by him and with him are all things. Sorry, you know, that's just the sense of it there. To him be the glory forever and ever. So the glory of kings, O king, is you get to seek him out. You can go back to the verse. You get to see your glory is in seeking that out and making it understandable to the people, dispersing his wisdom and his goodness that way. Verse 3, as the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. So having just put the king kind of in his place, now there's kind of an affirmation uh, about the the largeness of his vision uh, to let the public know. You know, God calls and establishes these, these kings, like King Solomon, and in King Solomon's calling and his gifting and his vision and his intentions, the public will never know what's going on. They can see a decree of a leader, but they have no idea the depth and the vast facts and, the, and, and everything involved in, in bringing forth a decree. And so the writers say here, what he's looking to convey here is some humility and grace for those who uh, are governed to cut slack to leaders uh, because you can't possibly know what's going on inside of a leader's heart, that it's very deep. And now, of course, we're not talking about bad judgment calls or something that's immoral or illegal. We're talking about how they rule in amoral things, things that are morally uh, neutral. And so he's saying there's a lot going on inside that mind and heart and uh, so people have got to understand that they can't just criticize so easily the king because you can't, it's unsearchable. You don't know what's going on. I, I, a writer put it really nicely here, a scholar. Uh, and he started with the president. And he said, your president deals daily with more information than you and your 10 smartest friends could analyze in a month. He faces enormous pressure from many directions for every decision. It is is truly folly and self-willed presumption to criticize his actions when you do not have a clue about what's really going on. While this is true of kings and presidents, the wisdom of this proverb applies to all authority. Fathers make decisions for families that children do not understand. It's unsearchable. The child can't search out the heart. Like, why did you decide that we have to do it this way or we're moving here or, or whatever? So uh, fathers and business owners... Business owners do things that employees can't understand for owners have duties and knowledge in their hearts greater than coffee breaks and punching a time clock. Pastors oversee the flock of God with burdens, convictions, knowledge, and goals unknown to most of the members. Be very cautious in your assessment and criticism of leaders because you do not have the full understanding of what's in their hearts or the vast amount of details that go into decision-making on a daily basis. And so that's what the idea is here. It's unsearchable. You don't know. So there's some grace and humility involved in, in our estimation of leaders. Verses four and five. Remove the dross from the silver and out comes material for the silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. So this is a familiar refrain, the wise idea for everyone, not just kings, um, to keep yourself from corrosive personalities or influences. And if there is evil in your sphere of influence and an evildoer or somebody causing harm, there needs to be decisive action. The Proverbs over and over and over again, deal with it. Deal with it, deal with it, or you will be corrupted, or the, the community will be corrupted, or the family will suffer. You have to deal with evil. And so the analogy here is when you want to make something beautiful and precious out of silver, there's a problem because lead ore that contains some silver, to get it in the pure form, you're going to have to heat it up and melt off the lead oxide, right? Which is called dross. So to get the good metal, you have to separate it from the worthless metal. This is what he's talking about. In the same way, you remove corrupt, and, and, and if we're talking about the king, we're talking about he's saying, son, your associates, your advisors, your cabinet, your, your, your inner circle, remove the dross. Because dross will, will, will corrupt. It'll corrupt your administration, your family, your church, wherever it is. Uh, you have to deal with the problem. We don't like to do that. Why? Because you've got to turn up the heat until everything's melting, right? That's how you get rid of, that's why it's such a beautiful analogy. I don't know if you made the connection to the, let the heat rise. And the reason why we don't like to do it is because when we have to confront and deal with problematic issues, there's some heat, right? And he says, you just let the heat do its work. I mean, don't be be unwise or obnoxious or unloving or unbiblical in the way you deal with it. But you you need to deal with it. If you want something beautiful and valuable, remove the dross, or remove yourself, or be ruined. That's what it's talking about. Verses six and seven. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It's better for him to say, hey, you come on up here than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. Now, most of you know your Bibles pretty well. You, you recall Jesus saying something like this along almost the same lines. Here's the constant refrain is against self Aggrandizement, in other words, thinking you're all that. You know, you're God's gift to the world. All right, and there are people like that. And this proverb says, "Look, the beauty about being and staying humble is that there's only one possible direction you could ever go, up, because the word means low to the ground, taking your rightful place be- before an all-holy, magnanimous, wonderful God." And taking your place as a helpless, broken sinner without the grace of God, that's who we are. Low, servant of all. Others are better than me. Thinking of ourselves not more highly than we ought. That's right. Where's the direction you can go from when you're constantly every day low, 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 low? If you're constantly on the basement floor and you get in an elevator, you can't go any lower. There's only, the, the, all the buttons are above you. Right? From lobby to one to two. Yeah, I mean, you're at the bottom. But if you come in at, at floor 43, out of 43 floors, there's only one direction for you to go. And Jesus promises to help you get there. <laughs> Amen? Now, come on. This is what he says. Check this out, Jesus. Gospels when he noticed how the guests were picking places of honor. So at a banquet, just like we do, kind of they'll have a a table, the the honor, uh, those who being honored are at the head table. And so the guys would come in and they would take their seats. Oh, well, who's closer to them than I am? And so they'd come and want everybody to see I'm at the head table. So he saw them doing that at a banquet. And Jesus says, excuse me, I got something to say before. The hors d'oeuvres are served Uh, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, go ahead and take the, go in the basement, <laughs> the low floor, the lowest place. Sit at the back in the corner so that when your host comes in, he'll say, hey, what are you doing way back there? Come on up to the, this table. Then you'll be honored. Everybody say, oh, look at that. In the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves, this is a spiritual principle that will always happen. Physical laws. Throw a ball up, it comes down every single time. Exalt yourself, you will be humbled every single time. It's a promise from God the Son. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, push B. Get yourself down to the basement, or he'll help you do it. How many would rather just start the day already, you, you're there, and he just, all God's next move is to move you up, right? That's the way to start, Amen. Six and seven. What you've seen with your eyes, don't bring so hastily to court. Make sure your fast accusations. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, slow down, cowboy. All right? He's saying, There's a warning here against over hasty accusations and some with some kind of wrongdoing. He's talking to the person who just can't wait to get catch people doing something wrong and get them in trouble. That's what he's saying. And and first of all, he's saying, you think you saw or you think you heard, right? And so you're quick to say, I can't believe and you're doing your thing. You're kind of prosecute them, prosecuting them, maybe not in a legal sense, but in the court of public opinion. And then what happens is you find out, whoops, I was wrong. And then you have to to, 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 you know, somebody says, actually, no, that's not what happened. Or that's actually not what they said. They didn't say, you know, they wanted a piece of pie. They said that, you know, uh, something else that I can't think of right now off the top of my head, right? But you get embarrassed. Listen, I was at a wedding. I have two illustrations. I had to choose one. And I'll probably end up telling you both now. (laughs) I was at a wedding. And I've told you this before. And a guy came up to me and said, "Uh Aha, Pastor Ross. Enjoying your Christian liberty. Uh, you know what? Let me tell you about what happens when a guy like you drinks beer at a wedding. You know, So I'm standing there, and I'm drinking. And uh, I said, really, I'll let him go on and lecture me a little bit, right? And then I turned the bottle around so he could see orange vanilla. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it looked like a beer, but it wasn't. Right? So I had to endure a little bit of a lecture from him, right? And he was serious about it too. Right? And you know, you say one thing and you do this and that other thing. Dude, dude, it's soda. It's soda, okay? Am I gonna outright? Whoops! Whoops! That's what it is. Don't be so quick. I thought I saw a words with a beer. You know, that's what he's talking about here. And by the way, if I did have a beer at the wedding, it wouldn't Be a sin. So, did I get an "I'm sorry" from the guy? What do you think? Of course not. Those kinds of guys don't do it. Well, you know, you shouldn't have. I, you shouldn't have picked something that looked like a beer. (laughs) It's hard to be a pastor sometimes because you know what? What you want to do with that beer? You want to (laughs) pour it over. And you know, I now that would be a sin, right? A fun one. But it, it be, okay, all right. I'm sorry. It would be a bad one. I'm so sorry to say that. Okay, I think you get it. Verse 9. If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence, or he who hears it may shame you, and you will never lose your bad reputation. This is easy. Some helpful advice for when you're stuck in an argument. Do not divulge secrets in order to clear yourself. In other words, do not throw somebody under the bus to get yourself out of the hot seat. And you can do it so easily. Well, so-and-so told me, listen, I didn't, I, okay, you're mad at me? Listen, I'm just going to have to tell you that Mike actually, our good friend Mike, actually, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and that's why I had to, X, Y, and C. You threw Mike under the bus. He says, da, da, da. You destroyed a relationship and a friendship here. It was unnecessary. You didn't have to do that. You could have dealt with him in an honest way. You didn't have to uh, ruin your relationship with Mike because Mike's going to hear that you did that and say, you know what? And things will never be the same. Oh, you'll smile. You'll go to each other's weddings and all of that, but it'll never be the same. So watch out. Don't throw people under the bus. Many people have seen the axles of buses in this room, right? How many of you? Well, no. (laughs) There have been a lot of those who have pushed and a lot of us who have been under. And a lot of us who have been under have done a lot of pushing. Amen, if we're going to be honest about it. All right, yeah. moving on. It's church. We have to be honest. Verse 11. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Here's a little picture. Something beautiful. There's, isn't it wonderful? <laughs> apples of gold in settings of silver. Now, I want you to close your eyes and imagine. <laughs> They were in the queue, right? So anyway, uh, there's a beautiful picture of apples in settings of uh, silver, all right? In your mind's eye, of course. And uh, here, a thing that's so valuable, a thing that is beautiful um, is our our words used skillfully. Um, Listen, words that bring healing or peace a word that at the right moment sets somebody free. A word that lifts a burden. Have you ever been like totally bummed out? Nobody knows. Nobody knows because you're bummed out on the inside. And outwardly you have to function and do your job and all of that. And then somebody will say something that, well, either way. It can go either way, this, this thing. Right. So either they'll be sarcastic and just call you a knucklehead or, you know, you're just so dumb. You always do dumb things or whatever. Right. And you're just like destroyed inside. They didn't know you weren't in the right place. Right. And then you could be in that place kind of depressed, kind of you had a bad day and the devil's messing with your brain and you're just playing the bad tapes over and over again. And then somebody comes around and says, hey. You know, I was just praying for you the other day, and the Lord just, just pointed out to me, you, you're such a blessing to be around. You're just, you know, when, when people are around you, you're always so thoughtful, blah, 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 blah and you're just like, feel, whoop, 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 whoop. you feel like you're coming to life again. It's a beautiful thing. And how about the word that tells somebody, dude, you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's a God who loves you. We're talking about some beautiful words there that that impart life. Um, Verse 12. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Well, you know, a rebuke is a verbal slap. And I'll tell you one thing, that uh, most people do not think of it as an ornament of gold uh, when they get corrected, all right? They may think of a lump of coal, or they may think of rotten tomatoes, but they do not think of something valuable and, and pleasant and attractive to the eye. And uh, no, they don't because, you know, correction deals with our pride and most people don't want to be uh, corrected. But he says loving, wise correction, not a fault finding, uh, proud, um, judgmental uh, criticism. We're not talking about that. You see, he's saying a wise man's rebuke. A wise man's rebuke will be constructive. You know, the timing will be right. Uh, It will be brought with humility. Uh, The log in one's own eye will have been removed, right? So that he could handle the speck. And so it's a wise man's correction. And that to a wise person is a valuable thing. You know, it's an enemy who multiplies um, kisses. It's faithful friend who... Brings a wounding when it's necessary. And so, yeah, verse 12 is saying uh, rebukes and those who give rebukes, it's actually a good thing. Um, you know, some people have to be told, hey, 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 you've got a bad attitude here. You've got a bad attitude here. Or, hey, hey, uh, you're drifting spiritually. I just noticed you're kind of hard hearted lately. You know, we, we get self deceived, folks. We don't, we need each other but in a wise and loving way, not in that fault-finding way. Those, those the, 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 don't do things like that. Or, you know, you, you know people who, uh, all kinds of problems. You're hanging out with the wrong crowd, or, or you know, uh, you drink too much. You might have to tell somebody that. In love, in the right way, in the right time. You just, I just care about you. I see something you don't see. Just listen to me. Trust me. It sneaks up on you. And before it sneaks up on you and gets you, I, I, can, I can tell you, just stop. Just stop. It got quiet in here. <laughs> verse 13. Thank you. <laughs> like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a, is a trustworthy messenger to those who send him, he refreshes the spirit of his masters. So verse 13 so he says, son, do you want to be a source of encouragement to people? Do you want to lighten people's burdens and anxieties? Do you want to bring joy to people? Come through for those who depend on you. Listen to me. People depend on you in whatever situation. In this, in this case, it's a, you're sent out to be a messenger. And that's important back in the days with no technology. Everything was riding on you. And if you got distracted, you want to stop here for Coke, you know, and then, you know, you got a flat tire or the horse or, you know, there was a problem and you didn't get the thing through. The message didn't go through. You know, listen, I'm, I'm speaking now as someone who employs people now and I concur with this verse and so do other. De- of the other employers in the room. There's no one who brings more delight, more joy, more peace to an employer's heart than somebody he can entrust something to that needs to get done and then go, oh, it's going to be done the right way, all the way, with a good attitude, in the spirit in which I would do it, all right? Thoroughly, all the way, hard work, Make it happen promptly and timely. I'll tell you what, I'm just telling you as as someone who employs, it lifts the burden off of me so that I can do other things. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to fall behind. I don't have to, you know, be texting. I can just, I just know that person and I'm so blessed to have those kinds of people around here. But let me tell you, it hasn't always been that way through the years. And through the years, you could ask somebody to do something, and they just don't do it, or they do it carelessly, or they just forget about, it. they intend to do it, and they're just not detail-oriented because they don't care about the things that you care about. They're just there because they're doing their job and they're thinking about what they're going to do when they get off. You know They don't pour themselves in to their job. And that's too bad because whatever we do in word or deed. And even for our masters, which are our bosses, the New Testament says, we ought to be working for the Lord and not that person. So he's just saying, you know, the metaphor of working all day in the fields and then you're just like bone tired and you're just soaked with sweat and and suddenly the weather uh, goes cold and the little snow And you're just refreshed because that's the kind of thing that happens to your soul and your spirit when you have somebody trustworthy uh, that you can depend upon. He's saying, Son, be that way. He's talking to his son, and the Holy Spirit's talking to us. Can you be that way? Verse 14 like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he doesn't give. Okay, so this is easy. Don't make false promises, uh, promises that you don't intend to keep. Here's the deal with this. We don't really, Christians don't mean to do it. We get excited in the moment. We're very emotionally based people. You know, it's, oh, hey, if you help me out here, I'll make it worth your while. And then we forget. Or uh, we, we make a promise to Sunday school class and then we, you know, we forget about it. Or we, you know, whatever it is that we do, uh, he's saying, look, here's the metaphor. Dark clouds roll up, the winds pick up and everybody goes, here comes the rain. <laughs> here it comes. Here it comes, just like the apples of gold. And it doesn't happen. <laughs> right? Oh, you're already moved on from my apples of gold, I see. 're waiting for the you're may, waiting for the rain and there's not going to be any rain because there's a lot of hot air there's a lot of look at me look at me I'm a big cloud I'm filled with rain not you know and then it doesn't happen so he says come on people of the Lord don't do that they make a promise and they come through verse 15. Love this one. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. He's talking to his sons, first of all, right? His sons have testosterone and they are teenage boys. They're young men, right? And he's just saying, listen, guys, you don't always have to come on like gangbusters. You don't always have to have a steamroller or a a grenade launcher or a battering ram approach to strong arm and manipulate what you need to get done because that's in us, ladies. You're wired to do the things that you do, but we're wired differently. We're wired to make that thing happen and get it done, all right? So we have to be told by the Holy Spirit, check this out, guys. In God's kingdom, uh, he says, calm and patient speech can break down insurmountable Opposition. That doesn't make sense to a guy. If you bring the tone down and and you lead with a little bit of kindness and patience, a lot can be accomplished, he says. Uh, And so patience and tenderness can win the day rather than a strong army in the situation. Think about that, guys. It works. It it really does work. Uh, Verse 16. I like this one. I love how blunt he is. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you'll vomit. <laughs> you know, there's only so much room in your stomach, and you pack it in. And then when you keep packing, you know, there's just no more room, and there's one direction there. So the key, the, <laughs> the key with anything, really, is moderation. Overindulgence turns something good and sweet into something bad and acrid or sour. Bitter. Now, one scholar put it this way. I love what he said. Check this out. He says, since the Garden of Eden, man has wanted to squeeze every last ounce of any pleasure, not realizing that beyond God's enough is not ecstasy, but nausea. God says, listen, here's a good thing and here are normal boundaries. But we take a good thing and if a good thing is fun and tasty and sweet, then we want more and more and more we just don't know where the stop button is until we get sick and nauseated. And so he says, overeating, overdrinking will sicken rather than energize. Verse 17, this is my favorite of the chapter. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you, and he will hate you. <laughs> now, come on, if this doesn't make you laugh, come on. I mean, the Lord is just, a, just, he gets down to right where we live. So, speaking of moderation, it's not just what you eat, um, but also in your, uh, with your, who you visit and how long you stay there. Now, Uh, Some people out there in our nation, such as, no, okay. Some people out there, I'm sorry I saw that. You don't get that joke. Some people out there don't pick up on social cues or norms and they cannot read body language. And so they're kind of socially uh, broken in that way. So they need a proverb like this to say, leave people wanting more of you. You know, uh, so for example, when everybody pushes back, it's been a couple hours, and it's getting late, and the hosts' eyes are going crossed, and <laughs> that's always a sign, right? And and then somebody goes, "Well, what do you got going on tomorrow?" If that doesn't scream, this conversation is over. All right, this dinner is coming to an end. Well, what do you got? Well, folks, you know, right? I mean, there are ways and there are people that will still, they don't understand. And he's saying, don't do that. People need their space. God made humans to need space. We like to be around people, most of us, you know, but we need too much of anybody. You know, what did somebody say? Relatives are like fish. After three or four days, it begins to stink. You know, and well, oh, okay. <laughs> Unless you have certain arrangements and certain special things going on, you know. I shouldn't have said that one. We'll edit that one out. All right, so listen. Facebook, social media, it counts because there are a lot of people who are being unfollowed and you don't even know you're being unfollowed. Right, why? Because you're popping in too much. You're popping in when you feed the cat. You're popping in when you do a load of wa- laundry. You're <laughs> popping in when uh, the sun comes out. You're popping in when the sun goes down. You're popping in too much, right? So it's, it, it's kind of like, Yoo-hoo, I'm in your house, right? It's sort of like that, until you get the unfollow button. And that's like, mm, no, you're not, <laughs> right? Oh, I've never unfollowed anybody here. <laughs> Maybe, not. Nah, maybe one or two, just kidding. Oh, I suddenly feel a hole forming right beneath me, right next to the pulpit. That kind of thing, just, you know, wisdom. Use wisdom with people. Use wisdom. Verse 18. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow, deadly instruments, is the man who gives, who lies. About other people. So, verse 18, um, a liar can do brutal, lethal damage to people, and maybe that's why they join murderers in the list of those who will be condemned. Uh, verse 19, like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. An undependable person is useless and painful. Verse 20, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Uh, This is a a very good and invaluable insight for us. So some uh, advice here when when comforting a, a person who's hurting and Christians really need to take this to heart because insensitive attempts to... Uh, cheer someone up only can make the matter worse. So we we struggle here because when somebody's hurting, you hurt. You don't want to be hurting. You don't want them to be hurting. And you know the answer to all the problems. And so there's a little bit sometimes on a Christian's part, a little rush to get over it a little too quickly because it's also uncomfortable. So we want to rush that person Ahead of what's normal time for some grief and some pain. Now, uh, what they'll get, what they'll pick up, is is that you don't really care, and you're not sympathizing with them, and you just want to come in too soon. With the Romans 8:28, Romans 8:28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. Right? That's a wonderful verse. Hold back hold back initially just let let the dust clear just like whatever we're talking about just sit and hurt with them weep with those who weep romans chapter 12 says just say nothing i mean wait just sit with them pray for them i mean maybe say one or two little things here but be sensitive that's what he's saying because what what happens is you get a bad reaction you'll make things worse you'll make them colder you take away the garment, you're, you're coming in, Romans 8, 28, come on, God just loves you, and he's in a better place. And you know, you're just like, oh, this is so wrong, right? It's like, uh, what's it called, uh, you know, sodium carbonate, that's what it is, with vinegar. It's a nice science project. It goes, there's a caustic reaction. And so that's what uh, he's saying here is that uh, when you rush in unsympathetically like that, it's just not good. So weep with them a little bit. Now, on the flip side, you know, if you've suffered a loss and Christians are just trying to love on you, I have seen it over the years where the person who has suffered the loss gets very critical. Of Christians who are having a hard time, they heard about the cancer, and so Christians are—they have an awkward, it's awkward, you know. You want to say something, you don't want to say something. You want to tell them that you care, but you don't want to bring it up again, and so you kind of like that. And I've heard the one who's either lost or had the loss or, or suffering some way to be really critical of Christians. Have some grace to just say they love me. They're trying, they're praying. It's awkward. Instead of turning it around and just saying, Christians don't know what to say, and Christians this and Christians that. My word, they're bringing you food, they're helping you, they're praying for you. you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. 21. If your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. So this is a repeat, right? So it's important. He's just saying, I got to repeat this because it's not in your natural inclination to uh, to love on people that you hate and that, that who hate you. And I know you're not supposed to hate people, but... We do. We, we don't like people, if you want to put it that way. He says, those who have hurt you, who, who you are feuding with, your best bet, listen to me, is keep your heart sweet and leave vengeance to me, says the Lord. He says, I'll take care of it. That's my department. For you, I need you. And he's not talking about nations, and he's not talking about war. He's talking about interpersonal relationships in the con- congregation, He's talking about keeping your heart free from bitterness and revenge and anger and resentment. Get rid of that stuff because you can't represent a a kind and loving God when you're all filled up with that kind of angst. He says, leave it to me. Instead, I want you to do something good. The burning coals on the head is just a searing conviction. Wow. You know, I've got a little story. I hope I get it right. Uh, 20 years ago, working for Pepsi, and uh, I was a merchandiser, and I had a supervisor who was mean, not a nice guy, who was on me all the time, about everything. I-, I mean, I had hundreds of things to do and hundreds of bottles to work with, right? And if he'd come behind me, and if he saw one bottle, not, they all had to be turned on the shelf perfectly. And if it was off a quarter turn, you know, I'd hear, I'd get rid of it. was It wasn't all the way out. You know, who knows who came behind me and picked it up and put it back, you know? But it was that kind of constant thing. And we're always at this kind of thing. And he made my life miserable there, you know? And so, yeah, we weren't friends. Uh, He's the kind of guy I'd walk by and I'd say, good morning. And he'd go, oh, you know? Okay, you know. And so one day we were at a receiving Uh, in a garage, in like a ginormous Safeway. And uh, he made a terrible mistake. He made an ordering mistake. And the manager of the Safeway was chewing him out so bad. And I was standing there, and he's right here, and the guy is just chewing him out and telling him everything that he's caused, the money problem, everything, just right in front of me. And I'm just standing there, and he's watching me watch him and the whole thing. Well, we got back to the office, and then we're in a meeting. And then um, the big boss, who liked me, right? Because his name was Ross. And... And we were always, like, punching each other in the army, Russ, what's up, Russ, you know? And just he kind of liked He even complimented the way I did my job. I mean, he liked me. And, and so there was a good thing here. And he started looking at me asking questions about what happened at Safeway. Oh, I just got a phone call, and who did this, and what were the details? And that guy, who always giving me trouble and grief, looked at me like, save me. He just looked at me like, please, please, I know I've treated you. I mean, it's all on the face. Like, uh, I'll be your best friend. (laughs) And I just kind of, I just looked at him and I said, it wasn't my place. It wasn't my place. I didn't have to lie or anything. I I just kind of let it go. And it changed everything. We were friends. He thanked me. He humbled himself. You didn't have to do that. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I had <have> several options. <laughs> you know what? Here's the reward. He says, and the Lord will reward you. Guess, guess who had a whole nother job? It was like getting an, a promotion. It was like, oh, I like going there. Guess who was saying good morning to me in the morning? Good morning. Good morning, Ross. It was just such a blessing. And that's part of how he rewards you is he'll change the dynamic of that terrible uh, relationship or environment because you, you did what God would do. It's worthwhile. It's worth the effort. It was a better feeling in the long run to have done it God's way than to have in the moment lowered myself to his standard and the world's standard and fired back. That's the world's way and it doesn't bring blessing. All right, 23. As a north wind brings rain, so a sly tongue brings angry looks. This is an easy one. Uh, When a low pressure system blows in, you're gonna get rain. And when crooked speech flows out of your mouth or deceptive words or words that are not right, Uh, people are going to get angry with you and they're not going to uh, like you. Verse 24, better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Uh, I'm sorry, ladies, but the Holy Spirit thinks that you need to hear it one more time. (laughs) This is the fifth time. It's the most repeated proverb in the 31 chapters. There might be a reason for that. Uh, The reason for it is because the wife has all the power in the home to make it or break it. She sets the thermostat. And I've told you this before. Now, I talked at least 15 minutes on this. I gave like a whole seminar uh, in chapter. Uh, it was on October 12th, if you're going to search out the podcast, because I'm not going into details again, because I value my life. <laughs> 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 so it's called Wisdom for Wives. And so October 12th is it, it. So if it weren't important, God wouldn't be repeating it. You know, He's saying better uh, loneliness... Loneliness is to be preferred than marriage to a wife who likes to fight over every little thing. Um, one husband did ask me what What can I do? Um, what can I do? And 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 it, this was a true case of he he was just an ordinary guy it wasn't deserving, and and the and the wife had some problems with this, right? And he said, What can I do? And I said, the Proverbs only give you one word of advice, is to pack up your bags and get a ladder and and move up. (laughs) Trust me, trust me, I'm going to save you some time and trouble and money and a therapist visit, all right? It will do no good unless she has a come-to-Jesus moment. You can't make it happen. You can't reason. There has to be a spiritual awakening, and that's true of the husband, in his problems, and it's true of the wife. You cannot force somebody to change. You cannot control them. You cannot reason with a person who loves to fight about every little thing. That's in their nature. Until they have an encounter with God, and there's repentance, and eyes are opened, and the Holy Spirit is working, uh, you know, you know, get a hobby. Sorry, that's what he's, I mean, you don't divorce because somebody uh, makes you miserable. That's not grounds for divorce. Verse 25, quickly save me. <laughs> like cold water to a weary soul is a new verse out of that last one. A cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land, verse 25. Verse um, 25. All right, so when family and loved ones were separated back in the day without technology and all of that and cars, uh, it was a big deal when someone came from that land to let them know, hey, so-and-so got married, so-and-so is still living, uh, so-and-so had a a baby girl. This was a big deal. And it it was just like, he says, it's like crystal clear, ice-cold spring well water, you know, uh, poured into a parched soul. And so I started thinking, hmm, good news from a far land, a distant land. Hmm. Jesus said, I've come down from heaven. That's a distant land. And he said, I've got some good news. Whoever believes in me will never die. Whoever believes in me will have every last sin you've ever committed against God, every single one of them, past, present, and future, wiped out as if they never happened. Whoever believes in me will stand before God as if they've never sinned and that all of my righteousness will go upon them. Whoever believes in me shall reign and rule with me forever. I will go and prepare a place for you so we can be together. And when the world is falling apart. And just before the end comes, in a twinkling of an eye, I will take you up to be with me and spare you from the hour of tribulation that will come upon the whole earth, for I have not appointed you to wrath, but for salvation. That's pretty good news. Amen? So you know what? Wherever you're at tonight, there's, there's some good news. And imagine the good news that you bring to others with that, right? So good news from uh, a far land, just cold water to a soul. You're going to be okay. Tonight, you've got some problems. You know what? But in the long haul, in the the big scheme of things, you're going to be just fine. 26. Like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked when there's moral compromise That well that you are as a believer, you have living water. Jesus described it in John chapter seven. He says, from a believer's heart will come this everlasting water streaming up, not only for you and your sake, but for those around you. But when you compromise morally, you become like a muddied spring. A muddied spring there is a picture of um, streams of water, that through which animals have come, crossed over, and defiled. That's the picture, sorry. And, and a polluted well is a poisonous, it has poison or defilement in it. And so what he's saying is, listen, you could talk to somebody about Jesus, but if your life is immoral, if there's something of a moral compromise in you, that water is foul-smelling. So you do a disservice to Christ and the gospel. And you'll make them sick if they drink of the water, that kind of water. They'll get sick because they'll associate your bad behavior with the Bible and the gospel. So he says, don't compromise morally because you'll be no good to God. You'll have poison water. And that's not the point. 27, it's not good to eat too much honey nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. Well, we, we got A and we got B, but we don't know how A fits with B. And let me explain that to you. Okay, number one, honey is sweet. Don't go overboard or it's sickening. Check, we get that, right? Now, honor is sweet, but when it comes from somebody else's lips. Hey, so, hey did you hear what John did? He's, he's just like that. He, John will give you the shirt off of his back. That's a sweet thing. When John hears that so-and-so said, hey, I just heard what you did, and boy, that was so awesome, and everybody knows, man, you, you give, the, give people the shirt off your own back. That's sweet. When John hears it from somebody else, and come on, all of us, it's sweet to be affirmed, to be honored. But you yourself can't go overboard. You can't open up the jar of honey as far as honor goes and start taking it onto yourself because that will become sickening because it's not no longer honor. It's dishonorable to do that kind of thing. And that's the point of this. I believe there's one more left. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. This is easy because if you had to pick one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits, uh, what, what are they? Love, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, patience. I already said that one. Self, yeah, okay, you got it all. I, I wrote them down somewhere. What verse is this? 28. Oh, that's the problem. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The one you really can't live without is self-control. Don't do away with that, because without self-control you're a dead man, or a dead woman. Now, without self-control you're vulnerable. This is it, listen. Protective walls are gone, you have no defense against greed, um, peer pressure, uh, temptations, lying, gossip, drugs, alcohol, anger, and anything, name it, you've got no chance. You're a train wreck waiting to happen. Where do you get self-control? Let me tell you this. It's from the Lord. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's not about saying, I'm not gonna. That's willpower. Listen. And I'm gonna explain what I mean by this. Joseph. Uh, Joseph back the or Jacob's boy. Potiphar's wife when he was under house arrest took note of him, and she was an immoral woman. And she said, he's handsome and well-built. And she said, come to bed with me. And he said, listen to what he said. This is self-control. He said, how could you ask me to do such a thing and sin against my God? It wasn't, oh, no, I can't do that because that's wrong and I'm not going to do it and that's on my list of do's and don'ts and I'm not going to do that. That's willpower. That works only so far. But a relationship with God based on love and filled up with gratitude and a relationship with God from that flows out this thing from God called self-control. And so based on his love for God and his walk with God and his faith with God, out naturally came, oh, are you kidding me? I can't do that to God. He also said, I can't do that to your husband. He threw that in. He said, your husband, trust me. He thinks I'm trustworthy. Are you kidding me? I couldn't do that to your husband and I couldn't do it to God because there's love in his heart. He's not a rule keeper. So it wasn't all about, you know, I can do this. I can say no. I can say no. It's, a, it's about loving the Lord. Human willpower only goes so far, but love for God and faith, that self-control, uh, nothing will ever get over that wall. <laughs> Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for all of these wise sayings that will help us, Lord, to live productive and effective lives for you. We thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.